here we go. This week's Torah portion is about the ever lovable, huggable, red heifer. Yes. Anybody here the red heifer? Yes. I, I, I don't know why in these English translations they use the word heifer. I, I think I didn't even know what a heifer was until I read about the red heifer. Like every other time that word is used in scripture, it's cow or something like that. I think in one place in the King James they call it a kine or something like that. Is that a word that means cow? Something like that. But not the old red heifer. Not the lovable, huggable red heifer. He gets his own little English name. Heifer. The red heifer, it's something that comes out in news stories for those that have eyes to see prophetically what's going on in this world. For those that are watchmen on the walls of the world, they see things that happen in, in news stories around the world, whether it be like an earthquake or whether it be a, 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 a weather event or whether it be a war or a rumor of war or an eclipse or whatever it may be, there are those that are sort of prophetic watchmen on the walls of the world. When events happen, I think we have some of those watchmen even in this place right now. One of the things that seems to happen where the prophetic watchmen go, oh, I take notice, is when a red is born, especially in Israel or wherever it may be. Um, I respect the prophetic watchmen on the walls of the world. I don't fully understand the significance of a red heifer being born. With all due respect, and not like what registers in my spirit is truth, but if something, if a red heifer is born, it's not like I'm going, uh-oh, it's coming. It just doesn't really registers to me with certain things that happen in the world, like wow, this is significant. It doesn't register with me with the birth of a red heifer. Uh, the reason why it's significant is actually a rabbinic custom, because rabbinically they've put rules around how precise the red has to be. It, and like if there's two like minorly brown hairs, it's disqualified from being a red heifer that has a certain part in the tabernacle system. So rabbinic Judaism has turned the red heifer into something extremely rare and extremely unique. So when one is born, that actually meets those qualifications. They're not necessarily biblical qualifications. They're rabbinic, traditional qualifications. So when, uh, when a red heifer is born with those qualifications, it's a unique event. And that's why when a red heifer is born, the, 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 the prophetic eyes go, hmm, this is significant. And then the rabbis take a look at it to see if it really is, matches up to their rules on what a red heifer is supposed to be. If it doesn't, I guess it just falls the fate of cows. It loses the term heifer. <laughs> now it's just a plain old cow. Um, and 
but I think there was one uh, that was recently born, a red heifer, and it seems to be significant. And, and why is it even significant at all um, when it pertains to a tabernacle system that has passed? Um, it's, it's really significant because there are some, most notably there's an institute called the Temple Institute that are in Israel and they're devoted to preparing for the reestablishment of a biblical temple. Um, so we had the tabernacle, the tabernacle was replaced with Solomon's temple, that got ransacked, leveled, that got replaced with Herod's temple in 70 AD or, or CE. It got ransacked by the Romans. There's been no temple. There's a wall still in Jerusalem. We know the wall. Don was just there. Um, but there is an institute in, in Israel that's, they want to prepare for a rebuilding of a temple and the coming of the Messiah and the reinstitution of temple practices. I don't have a sense totally of like how this is all going to play out in end times and things like that. In my spirit, I don't see a temple because I, I know so passionately that the temple of God is sitting right here. And it says in the New Testament, in the book of Hebrews, that it's a better covenant with Yeshua. So I don't see Adonai going backwards into an animal sacrifice system. If it does, I may wind up being an animal rights activist in front of the temple. I will not kill that goat! <laughs> no, I will not! But anyway, so that's what they're doing, and that's why a red heifer winds up being significant, because it's so unique. You know, they don't raise their flags when a goat is born, or a lamb is born, or all these other things that are part of the temple system. But a red heifer, because of its uniqueness, they raise the prophetic flags. Does that make sense? Yes. But today, we're going to talk about something that is prophetic about the red heifer that may not have ever been said, that you may not have ever heard. So when reading the Torah and seeing the prophetic nature of things in Torah, first and foremost, the Torah speaks of and points to the Messiah. Always. He is the fulfillment of all of the Torah. And I am very blessed by that because the Torah is a challenging book to read, especially for Christians. Because over the past 2,000 years in Christianity, the Torah has sort of been placed on the back burner as something that Yeshua did away with. The, the verses that talk about that the curse of, he took the curse of the law upon itself and he it nailed to the cross and he made a mockery of it. What was made a mockery of are the punishments of the Torah. The, not the curse of the Torah, meaning the Torah is a curse. The Torah, in the Torah, there are blessings and curses. It's then the curses that the Torah places on us if we sin. Yeshua took upon himself. That was nailed to the cross. Not the Torah itself, other than the fact that Yeshua is the living Torah. And he was nailed to the cross. But because of that, the Torah is not frequently read in churches. 
It's sort of a book that if you're going to read it, you got to kind of blow the dust off before you actually open it up because it's sort of left on the side, right? It's so some of these things which are like this is not necessary anymore. This is not necessary anymore. This is not necessary anymore. They all speak to Messiah. Every bit of it, every jot, every tittle speaks of Messiah. He is the fulfillment. He is the goal. He is not the end of the law as is translated. He is the fulfillment of the law, of the Torah. Which blesses me because when I read the Torah, it's like Adonai putting before us a riddle. Mm. It's like a little, it like a like a like a puzzle, like an IQ test or something like that, like a Sudoku game. It's like figure this out, put the puzzle piece together, and you will find Messiah, because he's in all of it. I'm reminded of a scripture unrelated to this week's Torah portion, where it's, it's this unique verse that says, if your kid is a glutton. Or a drunkard, kill him. And rabbis have studied that verse for millennium. And if you look at the rabbinic writings, they say this verse has never been filled, fulfilled because no parent has ever done it. No parent, if their kid is struggling with out of eating and drinking, do the parents kill him? But that's what it says in scripture and the rabbinic writings said this verse has never been done in history until Messiah. Because it says in the Torah, if you're a drunkard, drunkard or a glutton, if your son is a drunkard or a glutton, he deserves death. And Messiah says that John the Baptist came fasting and you called him a wacko. But I came eating and drinking and you call me a glutton and a drunkard. And what did they do to him? They killed him. He fulfilled even that. He is the son that was declared a drunkard and a glutton that was killed. All of Torah is fulfilled by Messiah. So now we come to the lovable, huggable red heifer. I like to say that with a Rhode Island accent. Heifer. Heifer. Red heifer. The red heifer. How does it speak of Messiah? First of all, What is the purpose of the red heifer? Hepa. It's interesting. There's many things in Torah that can make us or make people ritually unclean. Anybody ever see that in Torah? If you do this, you eat pork, you're unclean. It's not sin, okay? It's something that puts you, because the Lord in the tabernacle system made this system where there's certain things you can do where you become what's called unclean and that means for a moment, you're like your spiritual level is lowered, so you can't you can't bring your sacrifices until the next day, which is when evening comes, and then you're clean again. It's 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 just that simple. And there's a gazillion things in the Torah that make you unclean. 
One of the things that makes you unclean, and again, all the things that make you unclean, it's just when evening comes, done. Okay? It's just a temporary thing. Yeah, the woman had her menstrual cycle, you are clean, go through a certain time, evening, done. Okay, you, you touched an unclean animal, you ate an unclean animal, okay, so for a period of time, you're in this place of ritual uncleanness, but evening comes, new day, his mercies are renewed every morning, evening comes, done, you're clean. Hallelujah! You go to give your sacrifices. Does that make sense? Yeah. One thing that can make you unclean in the Torah is death. Now, death doesn't make yourself unclean. I mean, you, 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 death kills you. Dead, you're dead. You're dead. You're dead. You're dead. <laughs> but being around, like touching a dead body or something like that, stains you. There's a stain. There's an uncleanliness being around death. So if you touch a dead body, you become unclean. However, death provides an uncleanliness in the Torah that it's not just wait till evening and you're done. You have to go through this interesting ceremony that pertains to the red heifer. And I will go through this right now, okay? So a red heifer is taken, this, this red heifer, and, and these are wonderful things. Why red, why heifer? I, I don't know all the answers, but it was taken outside the camp, okay? Yeshua was sacrificed outside the camp. All the other sacrifices are right there in the tabernacle system. The red heifer taken outside the camp. Yeshua was taken outside the camp to be killed. Okay? He's killed outside the camp. Burnt, whole burnt offering. And there are three things that go on the fire that is, that's burning up this red heifer to, to, to nothing but ash. Three things that go on it. Cedar, wood, hyssop, and scarlet yarn, okay, go on the fire. So I'm like, Adonai, this speaks about Messiah. How does it speak about Messiah? And this is what came to me. First, some things are simpler because you, you look at other places in scripture to see where it is, you're like, aha, I get it, okay? Scarlet yarn, where else was scarlet yarn used? It was used with Rahab. When the children of Israel were about to go into uh, Jericho, right? And they were about to go into Jericho, and Rahab hid the Israeli soldiers. And she said, don't take, you know, don't kill me with them, take me with you, I'm going with you. And they said, if you hang a scarlet yarn out your window, you will be saved, okay? The scarlet yarn represents the blood of the lamb that was put on the doorpost. It's the exact same symbol. So what Rahab did, she did to the best of her ability the same thing that the children of Israel did to avoid the plague when the enemy of death was coming to them, where they put the blood of the lamb on the doorposts. Okay? And that's what Rahab did. So, the scarlet yard represents the blood of the lamb. Okay? That was done on Passover. Yeshua is the Passover lamb. What did they put it on with? Hyssop. Second relation to the blood of the lamb on Passover. Where did they put it? On the doorposts. Cedar wood. 
And this is something that came to me, like maybe the, the, maybe the doorposts, maybe houses are built from cedar. So I did, that's what I, that came to me. So then I checked as I went into my little online Bible programs, looked up cedar. Sure enough, it's plenty of verses about the temple of God, the beams of the temple of God being made with cedar. Wow. Yeah. Even this one place in the Song of Songs that says that like our houses are built with beams of cedar. Yeah. Of course, in the Song of Songs, the cedar probably means something else. We don't need to go there. But, so now we have three things that, are, that relate to the, the Passover moment of the blood of the Lamb. The hyssop that the blood was put on with. The scarlet yarn, which is the blood itself. And the wood of a door frame. All three, all three are in this system with the red heifer. Okay? Relationship with Messiah. So, this red heifer is, there's an equation with Messiah. Because he is the Passover lamb. He's the one whose blood was put on those cedar door frames. So there is a relationship with, the, with the, this red heifer and Messiah. What did I say that the red heifer cleanses you of? Death. What does Messiah cleanse us of? unclean. So the priest goes, aha, let me take some of the ashes from this red heifer that was went through this whole killing process and was burnt up to ash. It's placed on the side. Somebody gets stained because being in contact with death. It's now time to cleanse this person from death. They take hyssop, they dip it in living water and this ash of the red heifer and they sprinkle it on this person needs to be cleansed on the third day wow. and the seventh day. What does the third day represent? Resurrection. Messiah's resurrection. What does the seventh day represent? Shabbat. Shabbat and also in the windows of time, the end of time. The, the millennial kingdom, the seventh thousandth year <laughs> where he will reign over all the earth. His first coming on the third day and his second coming on the seventh day. Those are the two days. And it says, in order, specifically it says in the Torah, in order for you to be cleansed of this death, you must be cleansed on the third day and the seventh day. If you are not cleansed on both the third day and the seventh day, you're not cleansed from death. We don't have altar calls here too much. But if there's anybody here who hasn't accepted the Messiah who was resurrected on the third day and have him activated in your heart where he lives, today's the day to do it. Come talk to me afterwards. All right, altar call done. Because it's got to be both. That's what it says today. You must be cleansed on the third day and the seventh day. Third day and seventh day, the two comings of Messiah. 
Messiah is the resurrection and the life. The cleansing of the third day is the resurrection. The cleansing of the seventh day is the life. Most of the body of Messiah are, are remain, they remain in a third day cleansing revelation. But the Lord is transitioning us into the Messiah that's part of the cleansing of the seventh day. Yes. And we are transitioning into that. Yes. And he's, he's taking us to a new level of him within us. A seventh day cleansing revelation. This is the generation of the seventh day cleansing. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. This is the generation of the seventh day cleansing. Yes. It's glory to glory. And he's taking us from a place where we, we knew him in one way, and he's bringing us to a place where we, we know him in a much greater seventh-day cleansing way. What happens in this Torah portion as we go through this with the red heifer, which, which to me speaks of this, the, the Messiah of the third-day cleansing and the transition of the Messiah with the seventh-day cleansing, and you've got to go through both. And we're in that transitional period of going to the seventh day cleansing in Messiah. What happens immediately in this Torah portion following the red heifer story? Miriam dies immediately. Three things happen sequentially. Miriam dies. Moses doesn't make it into the kingdom. Aaron dies. Boom, boom, boom. All three things that are part of the third day revelation, because that's about Passover. It's Messiah's resurrection. It's his death, it's his resurrection. It pertains to the Passover. Also, it pertains to the third day, seventh day. In the third month is Shavuot. That's the end of the spring festivals. The seventh month is the fall festivals. Yes. Spring rains, latter rains. He's moving us into latter rains. Yes. Yes. Don't distract me, girl. <laughs> third day, seventh day. Third day is the third month, Shavuot, end of the spring festivals, seventh, beginning of the autumn festivals. He's transitioning us away from this experience of the spring festivals. And Moses was all over the spring festivals. Passover, Shavuot, Sinai. All of that is pertaining to the third day. All of it. And immediately follow this red heifer revelation. Moses doesn't make it in. Aaron dies. Miriam dies. The three biggies, the big three, immediately die. Because he's taking the children of Israel to another place. And Moses had his seventh day moment in this Torah portion, immediately following the red heifer story. When the children of Israel were once again really thirsty, and God said, speak to the rock. And he said, huh. You children of Israel are pains in the neck. Do I have to do this again? I guess I've got to do it. Here we go. Boom. Boom. Water flows out of the rock. And Moses is told he's not making it into the kingdom. Because he missed his seventh day moment. Because striking the rock 
is striking Yeshua. And he's part, that was part of the third day revelation. His striking. But now God was taking Moses to a new place. Speak to the rock. Speak to the rock. It's, it's, it's a greater revelation than the one that was struck in water coming out of him. Now water will come out of that rock, but through your own voice. Yes. And Moses missed it. But he didn't really, really miss it. Because it was his, 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 his destiny to miss it. Yes. Because it's not Moses who's related to the Torah and the law that, puts, that brings us into the kingdom, that brings us into the land. It is his predecessor, Joshua. Hallelujah! Same name as Yeshua in Hebrew. So well done, Moses. It wasn't your revelation to have. It's your predecessor, Yeshua. The seventh day revelation. Everybody here has a seventh day moment. Yeah. That will not be missed. Yes. Everybody here has a seventh day moment that will not be missed. When, when Yeshua, the Messiah, in that seventh day cleansing revelation, will work through you in how you're speaking and how you're touching to bring forth water, not from you saying, Lord, you've done it, do it. He will do it through you. Yes. And he's bringing us all into that seventh day cleansing revelation which cleanses the world, cleanses Israel from death. And both must happen. So accept Messiah into your heart and watch him work through you in the seventh day revelation. You are the generation that will see this. You are the generation that this will be accomplished. You are the generation of the seventh day cleansing. He is bringing you to a new understanding, a new place in him, a new place with him in you. The red heifer, what body part does he have? It's so funny, you know, on Facebook, it's so funny, like you can joke, but Adonai uses jokes to bring forth clarity and revelation. Nothing is wasted. So on Facebook, I posted a, a, a picture of a red bull, right? And then our brother Chris says, hey, don't you understand the, the male part versus the female part? The red bull is the male part. The heifers are the female part. I'm like, Baruch Hashem, the red heifer is a female. The red heifer is a female. But we just went through all of these reasons why the red heifer points to Messiah. But who is the female of the Messiah, it's his bride. Sorry, ladies, you are the red heifer. Sorry, ladies, you are the red heifer. It speaks of Messiah, but Messiah's unity with his bride. It's the word, it, it speaks of Messiah, but Messiah is in unity with the bride. That's why this red heifer is female. <laughs> Sorry. Bone of his bone, flesh of his flesh. As it says in Jeremiah 23, in that day, Israel shall be saved, and Jerusalem shall live in peace. And this is the name by which he shall be called. 
the Lord our righteousness. The Lord our righteousness. Are the knights of Canu. And then 10 chapters later, Jeremiah 33. This is the day. No. That, that Judah shall be saved and Jerusalem shall live in peace. And this is the name by which she shall be called. The Lord our righteousness. The unity between the bride and the Messiah. So the Lord is taking everyone here to a seventh day cleansing revelation. And you won't miss it like mm -hmm. Moses because it's your portion to have. He's bringing you to a new level of intimacy, of oneness with the one who died and was resurrected in the third day. Amen. So he can manifest himself in you. And rocks, rocks, hard places, impossible to breach, impossible to breach, will be spoken to by him in you. And the rock will be broken. And things that have been prayed for will come to pass. Because he is working and speaking through you. And the last thing I'll say about this red, <coughs> which cleanses from death, everybody involved in this process becomes unclean. Let me share about that. There's a red heifer. Somebody brings it outside the camp. He becomes unclean. Right. So the, the priest kills it. He becomes unclean. Somebody comes in and burns it to a crisp. He becomes unclean. Somebody takes the ashes and puts it in a place. It's a place. He becomes unclean. Everybody that's involved in this process becomes unclean. Yet, it is this that is the vessel that brings cleanliness and freedom from death. So what the Lord is bringing us to in the seventh day of Revelation is that to free the world from death, we sacrifice our own cleanliness sometimes to bring this about. And that's what it means to be unclean. You lose your place of cleanliness for others. There is one person who just touched a dead body and had this stain of death. Multiple people became unclean. So this one can become clean. And he's bringing us to that. Seventh day cleansing revelation. It's your portion. You are the generation. Break of Shem.